Hello everyone and welcome to episode 25 of Strange in the Cinema. I'm Paul Anderson here with my co-host Pete Wall. Good evening. Yeah, it's the first uh, Strangers podcast of 2017. It's number 25 overall. We've reached a quarter century, quite proud of that. Only 75 to go when we get to 100, the full century. That's by our rate of production, Paul Anderson. That is going to take us probably about five to ten years. I would say probably somewhere around the time that Avatar 3 comes out. Yeah. Avatar gag. Yeah. Reference. I don't know what that was. Avatar is always relevant, yeah. Paul, to any <laughs> any podcast, particularly when we do a countdown of a year that has had zero <laughs> Avatar films. That's when you've got to get your Avatar material out of the way. So, yes. And, you know, on the subject of us being late producing things, um, it's taken us until the 5th of January 2017 to yeah. come out with, what is this episode, Pete? You can well, have the honours. This is the sort of year in review 2016, top 10 of the year, really. It's a, it's a countdown show. It's a list show. Uh, everybody loves a list, Paul. Um, last year, at the end of the, the December, we saw and listened to and observed like a ton of lists everywhere from The Guardian to Sight and Sound to the BBC to whoever, wherever you might look, someone's making a list all over the internet. There's clickbait lists, top five, top 10. We're going to do that ourselves because we're no better than anybody else and we're opinionated and we want to tell everyone why their lists are wrong and our lists are right. So that's why we're gathered here this uh, this chilly evening. Yeah, um, before we actually jump into the top 10, because obviously the structure is going to go a bit different today. So we're not it? we're not going to the cinema today. We're, no. we're just reading a list. No, <laughs> we're, we're basically just like sitting in the lobby of the cinema going like, well, I'll tell you why the film you're going to see is rubbish compared <laughs> to the 10 films I liked last year. Yeah, that's exactly, basically, that's, well, that's exactly what everyone does with this. So we're going to do the same thing. But, yeah, precisely. But just to... Just to set the ground rules to the list, um, everything on our list, and if I say list once more, I'm going to shoot myself <laughs> in the face, uh, but everything on our, uh, on countdown, our countdown chart, yeah, nice, on our countdown chart of 2016, um, will have had a general release in the UK in the year 2016. Yes. Unlike Pete, well, which magazine that we have been critical of. Yeah, Paul and I had this discussion, it kicked off basically because um, I fairly religiously buy Science Sound magazine, I've probably mentioned it, we've mentioned it before on the show and, and stuff like that, um, and they always publish a top 10 of the year. This time, a top 20, I think, maybe they've done that every year and I've, and I've neglected to notice, but... Um, the problem that we have with it, and many lists that come out from critics and groups of critics, magazines and so on, is that they don't feature films that you've actually seen in 2016 because you're not a film critic. If you're a film critic who's flown round the world on the company dime to watch films in, in Berlin or Toronto or Cannes or whatever, then good for you. But <laughs> Well done, you, you have the best job in the world. Yeah, well, well done for that. <laughs> but you are making a list of films that in, is inherently disconnected from your audience because that audience hasn't had the chance to put those things in the rear view, to assess those films, to see whether they agree or disagree with your take on the films in question. So what we want to do is a UK, we're a UK podcast listeners if you're first time, um, UK released films in 2016. Things that you, the listener, have actually had the chance to see. If you haven't caught up, fine. Well, good luck seeing some of them because... Cineworld's been terrible. If we're giving, having a pop at Sight and Sound, we can have a punt yeah, at Cineworld at you the same time. You say that, Paul, but like <laughs> th these days, right, the amount that's available through streaming services, the amount that's available through online purchasing and digital format, it should be the case. I would say that what we talk about, for the most part, for the greatest majority, is available somewhere to find now, right? Yes. Am I correct? So just looking back on that Sight and Sound list, Paul, take a punt. From the top 20 sight and sound films of 2016, how many actually were released in the UK during the calendar year 2016? Eight. 
how have you pulled out eight? Is it, it's almost as if we had a discussion about this before. I thought I'd ask you on the show and you wouldn't screw me over, but you have done that. And that, I is, have, yes. that is your choice. Yes. But yeah, stunning <laughs> listeners. The answer is eight. Eight is, you know, less than half, just over a third of all the films listed. Of the top 10, we have only four released in the UK in, in 2016. I think we've made this point strongly enough. Yes. Our charts for UK releases. And also, come on guys, have UK releases. And I think everyone listening, you know, would be more than happy if the films, if more people would watch the films featured in the sight and sound list. But how can people watch a film that isn't even out? Or in some cases, doesn't even have a UK release date. Right, and you look ahead to something like, you know, it's an imperfect example, but look ahead to the Oscars that's coming up in, in February, right? In the Oscars, there is a window for contention for the Oscars. You can't have an Oscar-nominated film that's going to come out in nine months' time, right? It just doesn't... That, that cannot happen. No. Whereas when it comes to these lists, I find it a bit dis dissatisfying because for me, these lists have more impact if they're from respected sources... Such than, as than the, Right, than the Oscars themselves, which can be a kind of, you know, pay-to-play, pay-to-win kind of situation a lot of the time. But anyway, um, without further ado, I think we should actually... We've not got yes. chips on our shoulders about that, no. listeners, but no, um, yeah, so, it was um, a bit annoying. I think really. obviously, you know, the phone call to recruit us to, to write for Sight and Sound was, was coming and probably isn't now, so. Yeah, um, um, and ha sorry, so Hannah McGill, I still love you, so, you know, don't take this the wrong way. You're excellent, and, you know, forget about the rest of them, don't matter. Should, right. I, should I kick it off then? I think you should. Should I kick it off with number 10? Um, in a year that for me has been filled with disappointing blockbusters, mm -hmm. um, one that I didn't see at the cinema was actually <laughs> <laughs> blown straight. Was in actually there. blown straight in there, and actually I watched this. I watched this uh, on Christmas Day, in fact, right. um, and it's blown such other contenders as Rogue One, a Star Wars story. What? So this is going to be Paul Anderson giving a top ten of the year without year a Star Wars, that, right? In a year that a new Star Wars came out, and it's not so made that's the top any 10. tension where you thought, "Where's Paul going to put Star Wars?" I'm ending Oof. that now. It doesn't make the top ten list. It wobbles too much in this. It wobbles too much in the first half. There's too much planet hopping. Thank you, Russell Harding, for that quote. Um, the last, the last twenty minutes are some of the best thing I've seen. My eyes. CGI Tarkin is too much of a sin for me to forgive. Um, it's a decent film, but it doesn't make my top ten. But what does make my top ten? There we go. Star Wars out of the way. She didn't even need that to cut me off. Very, very concise. Very <laughs> yeah. uh, but I am reading this out of my official Rogue One Star Wars notebook <laughs> with, um, a, with a single tear falling onto yes, the page because it didn't make my list. Although I did mostly enjoy it. However, number ten. Drum roll. Jungle please. Book. Jo yeah, drum roll when you've already. Said no, it. I don't know why I'm looking <laughs> at you to seem shocked. I don't know why I'm looking at you to seem shocked because I'm as shocked as you aren't. Yeah. This is John, John Favreau adapted this, right? John Favreau adapted this. Now, that's not a director I normally have that much love for. I kind of thought Swingers was okay, but very self-indulgent. And 22 years ago. And 22 years ago. I, I, find his, I find his face a little bit smug. He seems to be like one of the Hollywood kind of Brett Ratner kind of I players. I haven't got around to Chef seen. yet because of pretty much his face. I haven't seen Chef, in <laughs> fairness. Um, I, I thought the first Iron Man was just okay. Um, I've always thought of him as, as a bit of a a bit of a workman-like director never anything particularly special about his films and Christ Jungle Book again I've just so why so why Paul other than Favreau you know has, has, has hit a you know a home run here Favreau's what? hit a career peak for me and just the film and this is something you're probably going to hear me say in a number of these films actually it has real heart yeah. um, it has equal, probably as much 
I'd say no, if not, no, that's not more, as much heart as the animated original. Right. And initially I didn't see the point of making it, and this is why I'm again, I'm surprised it's made the list. I didn't see the point of adapting an animated classic to live action. I didn't get it. It just works yeah. amazingly well. It's high, high praise, I mean, to, to compare, because I mean, that's such a beloved uh, animated version of the Jungle but Book. But it, it, takes, it takes the animated film and it actually adds, adds an ed element, a further element, it makes it a bit darker, um, a bit more appealing to an adult audience. Um, not to say that the original film isn't appealing to an adult audience, because it is. Um, it, but it adds to the story. It doesn't try and change it. It doesn't try and rewrite the rule book. Um, the CGI looks absolutely fantastic. There's a sexy Scarlett Johansson snake, isn't there? Isn't that there is kind of a sexy Scarlett Johansson snake. I wasn't going to bring that into my family-friendly Jungle Book <laughs> interview, but the sexy Scarlett Johansson snake is, is kind of sexy. And I think it made me realise that one of the sexiest things about Scarlett Johansson, as well as the film Her... Yeah. Is in fact Scarlett Johansson's voice. Yeah, um, yeah. The snake looks more like a snake than it does uh, Scarlett Johansson. Just in yeah. case anyone's going to, we've drifted here. It's not like a weird kinky snake scene. <laughs> no. Um, but no, it was. It just worked, and it was. It had a lot of heart. It was. It made you laugh in the right places. It made you cry in the right places. It didn't make me cry. All, almost made didn't, me make cry. Me cry. didn't make made me cry. Made other people cry. <laughs> didn't make me cry, mate. I cried at Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I did. But we've talked about that before. Um, yeah, I, it blew me away. I was really pleasantly surprised by Jungle Book, and I would heartily recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it, it didn't make my list. Um, yeah, I'd consider it, if we were doing like a, an animated top 10 countdown, it would, it would definitely be in the running for that. It didn't get on this one, but I can see what you're talking about, and yeah, definitely a lot of heart involved in, in the Jungle Book, and check it out if you haven't so far. Um, at number 10 for me, there is one, uh, The Shallows. The Shallows, uh, Jean Polissera's shark-bothering uh, uh, lady film that really I had... Not rock bottom, but fairly low expectations. Or of. is it lady bothering shark film? Maybe it is. Or is it camera bothering lady. image of lady from the perspective of the male gaze, Paul? No, I don't think it is. I, th I think it's actually just a really effectively put together um, thriller that uses very little to make quite a lot. And the thing that, that is so special about The Shallows for me, and, and I have used that word, you know, I think correctly special in the sense that I think no other film gripped me for as long and with such a sort of heart-pounding ferocity as The Shallows last year, except for maybe, and we've talked about this before, the closing sort of 15 or 20 minutes of the uh, of Blair Witch. Is it Blair Witch? The Blair Witch? Blair Witch, I think. Right, Blair of, of Blair Witch. Yeah. Um, Apart from that, and, and maybe the opening section of Don't Breathe as well, uh, the first yeah. entrance into the yeah. house section of Don't Breathe, some really good sort of, oh, and 10 Cloverfield Lane, but I'm not putting all of these things together. <laughs> what I'm saying is that to do that, when we are all so um, inured to thrills and CGI and scares and horror at this point in time, in a cinema with a cinema audience who are gasping and shocked at what's going on on screen fantastic a great experience and I know I'd agree with you I think it was it was the first time in the year when I'd, I'd been like oh, I really wanted I really wanted like an edge of tomorrow because I'd been so let down by yeah. the blockbusters having not seen Jungle Book at the cinema sorry um, really really let down by the blockbusters and thought I haven't really been to see like a proper cinema film this year so far and then as I said I kind of laughed off the trailer I thought you were winding me up when you said go and see it mm. And I went to see it, and yeah, I agree. It, it just really enjoyable. Just yeah. a very well put together, solid genre piece. Bla Blake Lively's fantastic, and let's not forget the possibly Oscar uh, nominated performance by the Seagull 
as excellent. Excellent. Yes. Hit all its marks. Yeah. Had no lines, but there was a lot going on facially with that seagull that yeah. I think added to the sort of pathos. Shall we move on? I think we probably should, yeah. <laughs> uh, what have you got at number nine then? What have I got at number nine? Um, and was I struggled where to put this, but it's going to go in his number nine. Perhaps on a different day it would have been higher, but I don't know. Anyway, we're not bothered about where it should be because I've picked number nine. And I'm going to go with Hunt for the Wilder People. Superb. Yeah. Uh, Taita Waikiki, right? I think I've got that Taita right. Taita Waikiki. Or Taika Waititi. Maybe that's correct. Taika Waititi, I think. Waititi, I, think. Sa- I think Waikiki's uh, just a Director of Hawaii. one of our top films from last year, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's so Sam Neill and one of the funniest kids I've ever seen committed to screen for quite some time. Yeah. I really feel like I should have researched his name before we did this. Yeah. Um, I, I wrote it down and I think it's somewhere deep in my notes. But yeah, uh, you'll know his face uh, from any advertising you've seen for that film. And of course, a few minutes into the film, you'll get introduced to him and you don't want to spoil that for people anyway. No, and I think we're, we know we're more talking about what we thought of the films rather than the content of the films, just, just for limitations of time. But um, trust me when I say this one is a charmer. Um, it's It's heartwarming. It's funny in the right places. In similar ways to Jungle Book, actually, it's funny in the right places. It's dramatic in the right places, um, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of kitsch, kitsch to it, and a lot of um, kooky charm, shall we say? Yeah, k- kooky charm without being like oh, kooky charm. You know, the kind of the kind of negative that can be thrown at even the 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 biggest detractors of like Wes Anderson, for example. Um, whereas I think this thing is yeah. Charming the best way and like laugh out loud funny. And but. Sam Neill is on. Sam Neill is on as ever. In fairness, and he's he's never really bad, is he? And but it's just he's amazing. On great form. It's playing amazing opposite to see. This, this delinquent kid. Yeah, I mean, Sam Neill is so strong, but the counterpart, the little kid who's playing opposite him, is like stepping up to the plate to try and yeah. you know, act at his level, and they just get the best out of each other. I think it's it's really an amazing thing to see. Uh, should we move on? I think drifting straight to number. Number nine for you, I believe. Yeah, that was your number nine, so my number nine. Um, I've gone for uh, another, well, forest-based adventure of a completely different kind, which is uh, Robert Eggers' debut feature, The Witch. The Witch, again, a little bit like The Shallows in the sense that I knew a bit about it, but I didn't have great high expectations. In fact, I think it was a film that I sort of was a bit laboured in actually going to see the cinema I know you'd talked about it or you'd mentioned it I don't know if you'd seen it already but you'd you'd said something about it and by the time I went along a few days into the run I wasn't sure what to expect what I got was just like such a unified vision and such a sort of uh, oppressive tightly constructed atmospheric um, film that it was a little bit like, Paul, how I felt about The Babadook a year or so ago, yeah. where it might not even be the best horror film, all things considered, of that year, but it's so well put together and so of a piece that I think it just it's going to stick in the memory for a long time anyway, The Witch. I think it is one of the best horror films of the year. Um, it's run close, I think, by you were saying earlier about the probably the last 20 minutes of The Blair Witch, but what The Witch does differently, it happened to be my number seven, so right. a couple of, just, just the place or so above your placing of it. Um, it's just, for me, it's it's not the film I expected. The trailer sets up a very kind of jump scare, and it's, 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 the trailer itself is one of the scariest things I've seen in quite some time. Um, but it's just got this in just awesome, like, just drips with dread kind of just it's a grim film from start to finish and there's something that feels quite untraditional about the way it's constructed as a horror film so the jump scares are there 
but it's just about like ugh, like you kind of come out and go what have I just watched and do I want to watch that again really um, and you should do because it's a great horror film but that's, that's kind of it just leaves you with this foreboding foreboding fear yeah and um, one performance to pull out of this as well is uh, Ralph Innocent who plays the father who we know in the UK at least uh, I did from things like The Bill and like UK television Finchie shows. from The Office isn't it? and Finchie from The Office absolutely <laughs> that was one that slipped my mind but absolutely um, also though a, a year or two back I don't know if you caught up with this The Selfish Giant the Clea Barnard thing no, really, really good, and he's great in that as well. And I think he's one of those actors who's crossed over onto the big screen in just fantastic form. He's got such a sort of expressive, uh, unique face mm. to look at for, for a lot of that movie. So, yeah, The Witch is a strong recommendation, I think, from both sides of this table. Which brings me to my number eight, I believe, because The Witch was my number seven, but we've done that. So, my number eight is Ben Wheatley's High Rise. Okay, it's not made my list. Tell me why I'm wrong to leave it off. You're not, it's your opinion. <laughs> Fair enough, this conversation's finished. Just, just read your list out, I'll read mine. I'll tell, you why, I'll tell you why it's on my list. Why it's on my list is because I love, I love Ben Wheatley, but it's not just because Ben Wheatley's released the film, he hasn't quite got to that point yet. Um, yes, the political message is quite heavy-handed throughout, but Ben Wheatley's visuals, combined with its soundtrack and some of the performances in it, um, Luke Evans especially, yeah, fantastic. Then, playing in you know I just he needs to do he needs to be in better films mm. um, and this is one of those films thankfully he's absolutely fantastic in it as I said the soundtrack the sense of style to it the visuals all of it is is kind of I just find it very cool very entertaining um, and just a lot of fun really in the same way that we talked about kind of um, nocturnal animals in the last episode where I like things that that look nice and kind of jump out and high-rise kind of High Rise kind of filled this place on my list that probably otherwise would have been occupied by Neon Demon. Mm. But I think High Rise had a bit more substance to it than Neon Demon did, which is why High Rise right. is knocked off. Yeah, this is Neon that. Demon and probably Nocturnal Animals as well. But that's my. Yeah, I want to. Say, I'm not going to say guilty pleasure because that's it's not the case at all. But High Rise is kind of my like. Fuck everyone else. I thought this film was cool. Well, you, maybe you're having the kind of decadent pleasure that a lot of people in the high-rise building were having as well. Uh, yes. Hopefully, you know, everything around you isn't going to fall apart into a sort of cannibalistic nightmare. <laughs> At least not on a Thursday night around your house. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's on that sliding scale, isn't it, of, like, style and substance, where I think the reason I'd put this higher than both of those films, maybe like you have too, is that I think there is more substance here, as you were saying, I, I would agree on that. And in the case of those other two films, maybe the, the level of substance is just a bit lower or a lot lower, in my opinion. But, you know, that's for another time or for the previous podcast, if you want to listen to that. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, of course, Ben Wheatley is a uh, director of Kill List and the director of uh, Field in England and What Am I Missing? Um, sightseers sightseers of course down yeah. terrace yeah fantastic stuff so yeah if you haven't caught up with those things and you enjoyed this go back and find them because yeah great stuff from, from Ben Wheatley yeah. overall really so that's my number 8 which brings me, which brings us to number, number eight. 8 yeah yes. number 8 for me we, we haven't mentioned it yet this is the return or was the return of one Richard Linklater um, of course two years ago now we did do a top 10 we didn't do one last year we had a little break then uh, boyhood was number one oh, for both of us. Boyhood, boyhood. Like every time you think about Boyhood, it's kind boyhood of still. Boyhood is great. Uh, I thought. I just thought there would be more, Paul. I just thought there would be more. Um, but yeah, Richard Linklater f feature return. I think he's worked on a TV movie in between, perhaps. But um, this one, everybody wants some. Um, tells the story of a group of freshman baseball players. They move in to cohabit a college in the first year. And they set about the important work of both um, improving their skills on the field, but predominantly improving their skills in the bedroom and in the bar. 
and that is the whole film. There's not a lot of plot going on so here. So we're back in Days and Confused territory. We kind of are, yeah. And we're back in exactly where... So I suppose I, there's nothing wrong with I love hanging out with Richard Linklater in those places, and I love feeling like it is a lot of autobiographical stuff and it is a lot of nostalgia and it's this kind of thirsting for the past and younger days but I like that because you get to take time in that place we all sometimes wish we were you know 18 19 20 years old again and yeah I didn't grow up in in Austin Texas and I didn't grow up in the 1970s at the same time it's, it's fantastic to be there spend a bit of time well I actually have got a confession to make on this film you did grow up in Austin Texas in the 1970s no that's not the confession I have to make but believe it or not listeners but um, I actually bought this film the day it came out on Blu-ray and have yet to watch it so everybody wants some except Paul who doesn't yes apparently oh my god you wish to think that films out must buy this film and then oh I know I'll watch um, Transformers the animated movie instead yes Transformers (laughs) the animated movie which is my favourite still book of the year, but that's another. But but you say yeah, you say that you know you're sort of apologising for that, but at the same time, I feel a bit envious of you because you've still got that first screening ahead of you, and you've got well, all that, that kind of yeah. warm atmosphere to look forward to. So yeah, settle down one night and you'll have a great time with it. I think. Number seven, you've mentioned which already, was the then, witch is, for is me. Right? So yeah, yeah. Anything? I think we've covered the witch. Anything else left to say on the witch? I don't think there's much else to say on the no, witch. No, I mean not, by not all means, can... get on it, check it out. I mean, it's got on both our lists. I think yeah. that's all we can really say. So that brings that. us to your. Number seven. number seven. Yeah, for number seven, um, I don't know this for sure, Paul. But have I've it... got a feeling we're going to start falling into line quite soon. Well, I, I have a feeling... Because we don't know what each other's top tens are, listeners. That's no, what... I just because we've already covered your number seven, I have a feeling this is going to be on your chart but a little bit higher. But number seven is uh, Denny, Dennis, Dennis? Villeneuve. Denny, Denny Villeneuve. You're Denis. doing me with my... Um, Denis. I don't even what my what were my names the other day. Okay. Uh, but... Le septième est Denis Villeneuve <laughs> avec Arrival. Uh, yeah, Arrival. V- vaguely racist, but, but Look, I, I was born in France. I'm allowed to do that. Okay, well, fair uh, enough. It, fair enough. Arrival is uh, num- oh, number oh, seven for me. Only number seven. Yeah, this is uh, Denis Villeneuve who directed Denis. Sorry, uh, Prisoners and Enemy and Sicario and Incendie, which I haven't seen yet, which I feel terrible for. That arrived for me the other day. Again, another Blu-ray that's sitting on my shelf, so we c- we can watch that together. That'd perhaps. be cool. And coming up, of course, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, which uh, he's he's attached to. And possibly excited again. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Um, this is. Amy Adams um, has, I think, a much meatier, in my, again, my opinion, it's my listing, much meatier role to get her teeth into here than she did in Nocturnal Animals, which came around about a similar time to this. And it's hard to talk about Arrival without talking about the end of Arrival, and I'm not prepared to do that because I'm not going to rob anyone of that experience. But no. you realise with that film that for all of the sort of sci-fi trappings is a very very human story as they often are right and i mentioned about um being in the cinema for the shallows and the experience i had with that being quite singular the feeling i had when the thing that happens happened in arrival is something that hasn't been really paralleled by anything else in the in the year of 2016 and i think that's the the most i can do without spoiling anything about the film it had that much impact that it just sort of rooted me in my seat for a while after the film had finished. Paul, you've seen this as well. It comes much higher up my list. I'm not going to reveal where it comes until okay. later well, on. Well, we'll actually. get back to it. Yeah. That's nice. We'll, we'll get come back, back to it, to it when, you're, um, when you're ready. No, I'm happy to no, we'll talk about it. I'm happy to talk about it. We'll yeah. reveal when it comes up. I think what, what I'd like to say on Arrival is I kind of compare um, Denis Villeneuve to Christopher Nolan mm. in the fact that I wish more people, more filmmakers, would 
work under the assumption that people who go to the cinema, even even people that go to the cinema in the summer, even people who go to see blockbusters, have a brain. Mm. And part of the reason Arrival comes a lot higher up my list is because it's just the perfect combination of what you should be doing with visual effects and a thought-provoking film. And mm. I'd love Hollywood. When it when Hollywood butts, butts, out, butts out films, puts out films, I'm so excited, I can't even <laughs> say the word put, puts out films... Like a rival, you sit there and go, ah, oh, this is what we should be doing. Not just, yeah. not just brainless drivel like Transformers. It just, it, it assumes the audience has got a brain, and it makes you think about it. It doesn't overplay it. It does. It's not. It's not a complicated film. There are, you know, but I just, I loved it. Absolutely who's, loved the rival. Who's got the Transformers soundtrack on vinyl for? Yeah, no, Transformers the animated movie. Oh, I'm sorry, the Michael Bay. Don't, don't. don't I'm sorry. No, don't, I... don't sour my ear. We're talking about <laughs> how Michael Bay. Stole. I'm being polite when I t- stole oh, my childhood away from me. Right, and one didn't come out this year, right? So you don't have no, to get too salty on it for 2016. Salty There'll be no, another, I'm sure. Arrival, and there should there should be more films like Arrival. There should be more directors like Denny Villeneuve, and studios should employ more directors like Denny Villeneuve to make essentially blockbusters in bummy years. Yeah, um, and make people think at the cinema and still bring in the big bucks. And and I think it's a really really interesting point that you make about the comparison between um, him and Christopher Nolan. The comparison, sorry, the comparison is which I don't think I actually bef- before I, you would suggest is that they bring brains to blockbusters. Yeah, yeah. If no, I didn't make that, clear. I, I agree with you on that. I think I think what even plays further into Villeneuve's favour is the fact that in that comparison he comes off favourably, at least in my eyes, when it comes to delivering the real human element in his films. And I think that's one place where Christopher Nolan, in my opinion, can be a little bit tone deaf. We've talked about this before in regards to things like Interstellar, but um, yeah, I think that having someone like that attached, particularly to Blade Runner 2049 that I mentioned, is really encouraging because that's exactly the kind of sci-fi well, film he's, that he's, is about human beings. He's beings. a director just firing on all cylinders at the moment. You mm. know, Prisoners was great, Sicario superb. Yeah, um, I'm sure there's been a film in between. Those Enemy as well. was was somewhere in there. Enemy was yeah. Enemy was interesting, though I didn't love the end. But and then to, but to bounce from Sicario to sort to bounce from kind of thrill action thriller again, big budget action thriller with the brain to sci-fi with the heart and the brain. It was great. I yeah. just I can't speak. And Forrest Whitaker is highly enough of a rival. Forrest Whitaker is in it, and as far as I'm concerned, if Forrest Whitaker is in there, it's at least like a kind of three-star film, and then it just goes upwards from there. Yeah. So um, this brings us on to number six, getting close to the top half. Paul, what what have we got here? What have I got at number six? I've got Room. Yeah. Now explain to the pedants who are screaming at their computers or phones now that that you're completely wrong and you've made a horrible error here. When, when did this film come out? It was released in the UK mm. in January of 2016. Yeah, I think it might have been the 11th or the 13th of January. Around about the same time as the next one on my list, which is a clue. But anyway, we'll, we'll stick to room. Which is all to say, day. it snuck in, you know, just inside the rope, and it is definitely in the category of... We have checked this, haven't we? Before, yeah, we the, we, before we, people tear us Our apart. team of researchers were on this. Well, you've checked this, haven't yeah, you, Pete? Yeah, yeah, so, yes. so uh, room, uh, wow. Just, yeah. That's it. That's all I've got to say on room. Okay. No, it's just. Is it Lenny Abramson, right? Who made um, uh, the Michael Fassbender thing with the big head on? Tell me about that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he also. uh, (laughs) Frank. uh, Frank, thank you. And also what Richard did, which is fantastic. Have you seen that? No, I haven't seen what Richard did. Get on it. That's that's not what we're talking about. Tell us about this one. We're talking about Room, which is essentially the story of Brie Larson. Yep. Stuck. Well, I say st- stuck in a room. That kind of that denigrates the situation. Uh, she gets kidnapped, um, forced to raise a child that's not that's born of, of rape, essentially. Um, 
and it's just such a powerful film and it's it it doesn't overplay its hand it doesn't overplay the single trick of keeping it in one room although it does use that location well um it turns into like a, a thrilling kind of kidnap film to just like a, hor- a heartfelt heart-wrenching story about what happens to someone and how a person can adjust back to real life yeah. and it balances those two elements so well that it's yeah. well worthy of a high place on the list and i would say because i don't know if you felt the same as me but when that turn happens the thing that you've mentioned and to be fair it's in the trailers i don't think we're spoiling anything when that turn happens and the change of location occurs i worried for the film a little i bit. did as well i thought where are we going here i yeah. thought i thought okay is the film ending now mm. that feels i thought well that feels like a very short film and then it turns and you're just like i don't know whether this will work now is this mm. because you know there's 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 setting films in a single location works remarkably well um a weird, a weird kind of pushing one in here mm. the green room showed an example this year which was which was Is close on to the getting list, to the top no okay. which was close to hitting my top 10 list yeah uh, but green room showed an example of, of a great use of a single location Absolutely. um and arguably loses a little bit when it leaves that location um but then that's the thing where i was concerned about room yeah um, weirdly enough two films of room in the title but yeah, and I th- I agree with you. My concerns were as soon as it leaves the titular room, um, that it would lose something, and it doesn't. And I think the, it's those those bits that actually probably make the film. Yeah, and on that point, I think it throws my mind back to one of my favourite films of the last five or ten years, which was um, I think probably my film of about twenty twelve, Martha Marcy May Marlene, which has yeah. a similar kind of dynamic in the sense that it's a completely yes. different film, different plot, but we have a person confined and then a person unconfined and both halves of that dynamic are really well handled I think so yeah and it gave Brie Larson the recognition she deserves yeah because um, Brie Larson's been firmly on the A-list she's been doing good work for a long time and I think there was a lot of fuss made about her performance in, in Short Term 12 uh, yeah. Short Term 12 was a horrible film and, yeah and I think it was <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd go as far as you but I think it was a, I don't think I've just done a vomit noise I think it was a bit over overplayed maybe I mean she's been good since uh, United States of Tara and stuff like that where she played the, the daughter we've talked about this stuff before but yeah it's glad to, it's good I should say to see her coming into her own really with, with Room and Jacob Tremblay we shouldn't brush over who is the, the young actor who plays her her son in the film yes fantastic it's in it, actually. Yeah, no, it's and it, great it's like every time you see the guy from Boyhood you're like oh my god it's Boyhood yeah. <laughs> even though that guy actually has a name which I've obviously yeah. not written down yeah. um, every time you see him now he's like oh, the kid from Room but yeah. yeah Jacob Tremblay is that yeah. guy Anyway, uh, moving on, uh, this is where I... So this is your number six now, isn't it? Just yeah. To, I, just to keep pace. I could get into some hot water with, with you or, or listeners here, Paul, because I've wrestled with this. I'm not sure if it counts. In the end, I've decided it does. It came out in 2016. That's not in question. Um, it's seven hours and 47 minutes long. It's kind oh. of broken up into parts. Um, this is OJ Made in America, the Ezra oh, controversial. Edelman film. I'm going to go in strong. I'm going to come in strong with this film. Now, the reason why I think that this should qualify is, A, there are plenty of chart, plenty of chart, sight and sound not um, discounted from this, where we will have sort of art house, super length films that run five, six, seven hours included, right? And as well, when I watch the movie... Yeah, look at that. It's a movie now. Uh, when I watched the movie, I watched it in two sittings only. Two sittings. So it was like when you get a Tarantino film that's broken into part one and part two and that's all. And I brought those together and I said, this is my number six film of the year. Can I tell you why or do you want to tell me off? Can I tell you off first? Yeah. Can I say then, so if I, for example, wanted to nominate 
season two of Narcos. No, totally that different. tells one story split over a number of parts. Totally different. There are. There but if are... I watched it all in one go, surely that would be like watching a film. It might be. And to be honest, Paul, if you made a strong enough argument that Narcos was one of your films of the year, I think I'd listen. Well, uh, you know, I sat there and made a list of films. But no, go on, go on. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what it, it speaks Why is to? It, Paul? So good? it speaks to the fact that the line between what was formerly television and what was formerly cinematic is becoming so blurred as to be almost irrelevant. Which is not a bad thing. So and with that, on. and my tongue slightly in my cheek, I will tell you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, the reason why this is just worth anyone's time, whether you think it's a film or a TV show, doesn't really matter, does it? It's a, it's a documentary. It's a long form documentary, and it's broken down into five, I believe, individual episodes. It might be six. Um, it tells not only the story of the O.J. Simpson trial that we're all fairly familiar with, I think, by this time, but really it gives an overarching view of black culture, the treatment of black people in America, uh, crime in America, celebrity in America, power, corruption in America. So many themes are at work. Well, if all, all the films in this list are as long as that one, I imagine they can all touch on those issues. <laughs> You're probably right. But to juggle all of those things and deliver something that is so effective and for an old case to be sort of dredged up again and to bring sort of fresh life to that and fresh interest to that, I think is a, a really towering achievement. You're I've not seen this, so I'm intrigued. I'm gen all joking apart. I'm genuinely intrigued to watch this now. So yeah, incredibly, incredibly strong work. I haven't seen. I know Cuba Gooding Jr. plays OJ in the the TV. <laughs> now I say TV because it's not the thing I picked. <laughs> uh, sorry, in the uh, in the the other film about OJ that came out last year, I haven't caught up with that yet. But I think this is a very, very strong entry, and that's why it made my number six. It's not top five, but I've put it in the sixth position. Okay, in my number five, Call of Duty: colon, Infinite Warfare. <laughs> Touche, Paul. Touché. No, don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, my number five, um, and again, I doubted this being higher, and I don't know whether it maybe should be high now, but it's, it's difficult when you make these lists because everything jumps around. Um, again, released around the same time as The Room, uh, having watched it twice recently. It's, it's um, Room, by the way. If you say The Room, isn't that that horrible, horrible... Yes, that would have made a movie. number of... I did say Room initially when I... In the, but, okay. You've got a TV series in our house. <laughs> yeah, I can keep my mouth shut. Um, the Revenant... And I believe it is The Revenant. Or, yes, yes. Uh, the Revenant, directed by that guy, who I've completely forgotten his name now. Oh, don't do that to me. Yeah, um, sorry, I've dropped you right in it. it the it, guy that made Amoris Peros. The guy that... Inaratu. Yeah, carry on, Paul. Um, Inaratu. I'll, I'll get extra um, details. The Leo DiCaprio <laughs> finally won an Oscar for. Um, it's just uh, it's just a beautiful-looking film. Uh, the performances are exemplary throughout, and it's just great well i'm not going to kick back too hard because of what happened with the uh, oj saga just a moment ago um my problem and the reason this hasn't made my list at all although there's no question it came out in, in 2016 uk to me it felt like the film is stunningly stunningly shot at times for the majority of the film is stunningly stunningly well shot it's suffering 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 fight suffering the end it is and it's funny you say that because I, I kind of came out of the cinema and thought that was solid mm. and then I've watched it I think have I watched it once or twice I want to say I've watched it twice since um, I have watched it twice since I watched it once when it came out and then I bought the, the 4k Blu-ray of it as well and it looks stunning in 4k 
and it was the second and third time I've watched it where it really clicked for me mm. and I agree with you it is suffering 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 in a fight but for me there's just something so compulsive about it it's hard to put my finger it's it's hard to put your finger because I can imagine a lot of people would find this boring because it is just kind of walking suffering fighting and I'll give you that but there's for me something about it just clicked there, yeah there was just something so self-serious about that film where I I, I failed to see what it was all in service of other than making sure DiCaprio definitely did get an Oscar. Which he got, deserved. Got I to think. eat I some think he deserved the Oscar for, for his performance. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree and disagree because I think that there are a lot of actors that you put them through that those kinds of rigours and they can man up. Did they put Michael Fassbender in that position. He wins an Oscar. Put, uh, who did you mention earlier? Lee, Lee, Lee Evans. That's not correct, is it? Uh, from from High Rise, your boy from High Rise, Luke Evans. Luke Evans, not the comedian Lee Evans. If you put the comedian Lee Evans in the Revenant, I reckon he might not win an Oscar. No, but but yeah, my point is, I, I, I yeah, I don't know. We're not going to agree on this. The I, Revenant didn't make your list at all, then. No, no, not even close. I don't think it would make a top twenty. Um, it just it just left me cold. It left okay. him cold as well, but it left me cold. It did leave him cold. Um, yeah, yeah I, I had my reservations about um, Birdman, which of course won all the awards for Inuratu like the the previous yeah. year. Um, I think we're mispronouncing his name. But I think I'm but, trying harder yeah. now. But um, I prefer that to this for sure. Um, yeah. But, okay. But I can can understand absolutely how it would make a list. Um, number five for me, shoot me down in flames. I probably deserve it at this point. Um, I've gone for. Is with, it a film? It, this is a film. Good. Okay. Then we're, we're back on. It's track. the film I made in my mind when I played the video game Gone Home. <laughs> no. Uh, it is. Uh, Love and Friendship, this is Whit Stillman's follow-up to Damsels in Distress, which was uh, 2012, I, I would suppose. Whit Stillman is a director who is not known for being prolific. It usually, or to me. <laughs> it, it usually <laughs> takes the man uh, five to ten years to push out his latest project. This one um, stars Chloe Sevigny and Kate Beckinsale um, in p potentially, it might be actually sort of faint praise to say, a career best performances, because I'm not sure either one of them have been sensational in too many things but perhaps Kate Beckinsale was probably better more. than Kate Beckinsale but yeah um, so I mean Chloe Savigny's done a lot of good stuff in television of late so yeah. this is maybe not and, and now you know now that I can put TV documentaries now apparently in the chart, podcast is about whatever the hell you want it to be it's, it's all fair game yeah this we'll is talk about top 10 dinners in a minute this is uh, based on a, a Jane Austen novella uh, called Lady Susan and it's all about uh, Kate Beckinsale's character is a sort of very well to do lady uh, taking a visitation to uh, family and trying as best she can to set her daughter up with a suitable husband whilst also looking out for herself in every possible way that she can looking out for herself and it's you said you're not so familiar with Whit Stillman I've seen three or four and what I like about him is he's got this kind of as let's say acidically sharp way of writing comedies of manners in a not completely unwoody Allen way but completely okay. of his own sort um, this could rub people up the wrong way people could find this pretentious or self-satisfied I didn't at all I love this I love damsels in distress he brings great performances out of his actors laugh out loud funny um, yeah r really really strong it's a period drama but it's a sort of satirical period drama in the best possible way okay Strong recommendation. It's my number five. Which brings me to my number four. Okay. Which is Swiss Army Man. I haven't caught up with this yet. With one of my one of my acting heroes, Paul Dano. Yeah. And actually, a guy who I think has made some very smart career choices since Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe. 
Um, just to give a little bit of context to Swiss Army Man, because it is a very bizarre film, but even by the, the cast and filmmakers' own admission. Um, loving the, I quite liked the, the little bit at the beginning, which was directed by the Daniels, because the two filmmakers are both called Daniel, which was quite a nice touch. Right. But Paul Dano essentially is a man stranded in the wilderness, um, possibly on an island, possibly you don't really know where he is, in fairness. Looks to be on an island, he's stranded. Um, Daniel Radcliffe's corpse washes up on the beach. Uh, Finally, at which point, he's passed away. <laughs> at which point, um, no amount of magic can save Mr. Potter. No. Yeah, see, Harry Potter reference. We do watch those films as well. No, I don't. Um, and Paul Dano, I, I didn't enjoy them, but um, Paul Dano essentially befriends Daniel Radcliffe's corpse. Right. Um, and carries him with him for the most of the film and strikes up a friendship with Daniel Radcliffe's corpse. Now, high, high concept indeed. High this, concept. This it works sounds, for you. It sounds ridiculous and it is ridiculous, but it just works for me. The same thing I said about Jungle Book. Mm. The amount of heart in this film cannot be cannot be measured. I mean, even to the down to the fact there's there's Jurassic Park references in it, like right. Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe sing on the soundtrack, and all the songs you hear them they were on the soundtrack. They're singing along to him. They recreate, they recreate scenes about this girl that Paul Dano loved on the bus, and he like Paul Dano dresses up as a girl for Daniel Radcliffe, and Daniel Radcliffe kind of talks back to him. The amount of heart on display is just un- unbelievable, and it's such a charming film. Like, and I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to Sausage Party. Okay, right. Why? Because I'm it's gonna t- compare because it to it's Sausage terrible, Party because none of the jokes. Work. Right, because Sausage Party. Sausage Party's or? problem is it has one joke all the way through, and it's awful. That's not the only problem with Sausage Party. We also, we also agree well. it's yeah. terrible. Um, but there's there's dick jokes in Swiss Army Man. There's fart jokes in Swiss Army Man, and there's dick and fart jokes in Swiss Army Man. The rover revolves around the dick and farts of a corpse, and you're still laughing out loud, and it's still a charming film. And they reuse these same jokes over and over again and you don't care and you still laugh Yeah. and then oh the end it's got a twist in its tail at the end which I'm not going to ruin at all and you, I was like where do they how do they end this and you go oh okay that's amazing and honestly just like the soundtrack stuck in my head now there's a there's references Jurassic Park in it there's, mm. which obviously helps it's just heart 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 and more heart and, and fart heart and fart <laughs> heart and fart heart and fart Swiss Army man. I was going to make another comment for I can't do any better than that so I'm just going to jump straight on to, to my next pick and actually there's not much to say about this because plenty has been said already my number four is uh, Hunt for the World of People which you've already mentioned and we've discussed at, at some length so um, yeah I mean obviously I completely co-sign on what Paul had to say about that movie it is a charming, funny triumph of a film. If you haven't seen it, it wasn't so easy to come by of the ones that we've listed. Uh, get on it. because It's not far off coming out on home release, I believe. Is it streaming at the moment? It probably is streaming somewhere, yeah. It might I think be streaming. Probably yeah, or at least, at least pay to stream type uh, model. So, yeah. yeah, Hunt for the World of People was wonderful. And we both look forward with, with you know, a lot of uh, eagerness for whatever the director does next, I think, as well as the people involved in the little which is Thor, Which is Thor Ragnarok, as it happens. Oh, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'd heard that. Thor 3, yeah, right. which surprises me, but it warms my heart a little bit. I use the word heart again. And, and if there ever were to be a, a sequel somehow, I would love to get back to learning about the Skuck's life. Um, I feel like the Skuck's yes. life was something I was unaware of until <laughs> 2016, and now I know a little bit about it. The, the curtain has been pulled back. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, hump for the world of people. Check it out. Uh, Paul, we're up into the top three, are we not? We are up into the top three. Um, at number three is Arrival. So this was 
previously discussed, I, I brought this in yes. number seven. I you think. brought this in number seven. Um, I wax lyrical about Arrival. Again, highly recommend it. We've, we've talked about Arrival, so we can move on yep. to your number three. Yeah, it will be my number three. Yeah, breaking into the, to my top three as well. I have picked a film that I caught up with quite late in the day or year. I've got a feeling I know what this is. I'm very surprised it's this high on the list. But um, This one is uh, Charlie Kaufman's film, Anomalisa. Um, Anomalisa is... Kaufman's full follow-up to Synecdoche, New York. I Which I love. I cannot I love. possibly overstate how much I love Synecdoche, New York. I, it, it is, I, I, I agree with you completely. I, own, I absolutely adore I've that I've been film. back to it, I think, maybe is twice. It's not Synecdoche. I'm sure I looked this up. I'm sure it's Synecdoche. I, I might be wrong. But anyway, anyway. I'm not confident enough to argue, but I, I, Synecdoche is whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah, um, yeah, that film's amazing. The only reason I haven't been back more than two or three times to that film is because it's so powerful that it makes me really upset by the end and and it's yeah I have to tread a bit lightly with with that material but in this case I think an easier one to revisit but maybe a less you know its own way sort of less likely one to revisit anomaly sir is a thing unto itself and unto a, a writer like Charlie Kaufman because it deals with a man whose life is so gray both figuratively and literally that he's pretty much given up I mean, this is like an animated, um, much, much more sort of sour and defeated version of Alan Partridge, <laughs> right? You've got a man... That's a, good, that's a at, good summary of it, yeah. At the end of his rope, who goes to stay in a miserable, faceless hotel, and he's going to give a talk. He's there to give a talk, um, deliberately, hugely ironically, on customer service, the way that you deal with customers and the way that you deal with people in order to make a good impression. But... So little does his heart beat with, you know, you know uh, sort of human spirit at this point that every single person he uh, encounters during the film has the same voice and is played by the same actor um, in, in terms of voice acting, right? Except for one... Well, it's made with puppets, isn't it? Is it puppets? I think it's sort of a, a, a kind of computerised animation that's... I, the okay. technique escaped yeah. me. I'd have to read more about it, but yeah, it's, it's got a kind of uncanny valley thing about yeah. it, where it looks like live action if you squinted and you were drunk, but then you would realise that it's very much not that. Um, the one person who has a different voice is the one person who has the potential to change this man's life. She is called Lisa, or as it comes to be, Anomaly. So she's mm. an anomaly in his life. Uh, Paul's attempting to yawn and he's going to have some kind of sh shot at this <laughs> film in a minute um, so I'm just going to wrap up by saying th this isn't I would say as towering of a film as something like Snatch New York I don't, I don't know many films that are but at this stage having Charlie Kaufman back and having something that plays to its own rules as much as this does kept me involved and kept me sort of looking trying to look around the corner for what was going to happen next and where this was going to go next it might see it might i would honestly go as far as to say this is sort of minor charlie kaufman but it's still my third that's best why it doesn't year. make my list it's I my third best from the year I, anyway. and i liked it and i liked i liked it enough and i did certainly enjoyed it and I, i'm a big fan of kaufman it's nice to have him back i just thought um and actually it was my um it was my girlfriend that pointed out to me that actually it's the fact that everyone kind of speaks in the same voice and he is customer service I thought at times it would, it, and you talked about some something being pretentious earlier on. I just thought it did it did for me, and it takes a lot as people who know me and have criticised me for in the past. It takes a lot for me to say a film becomes a little pretentious. I think at times it did, and I think to to quote my girlfriend on this one, 
Um, it's not quite as clever as it thought it was. That's not to say I didn't like it, but that's why it didn't make my top ten. Sometimes, um, listeners, you know, when you have a loved one in your life, they can cloud your judgment and they can lead you with uh, leave you with sort of erroneous opinions about things. I think that's what's happened to Paul in this case. But no, that's I mean, not to say I didn't like it. I mean, I, I did like it and I, I did enjoy it. it just right, didn't quite and, make the top ten. So maybe at, if there was a top twenty, it probably would have got in there. And look at what but, happened. You know, the, the revenants, the opposite case where it's on yeah. your chart, it's not on mine. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's good I think to have those separations yeah. in opinion and. Um, well, this brings us very close to the, the top of the chart. This is, Paul, your number two. My number two is, um, and to say I enjoyed this film would probably be the wrong thing to say, uh, Son of Saul. Yeah, this is an egregious one for me because I haven't seen it yet. Uh, tell me what I'm missing. Uh, um, it's just, I really should have we should have got the director's name in front of me, to be perfectly honest. But it's, it's just, I can deal with that, but you gush about why this isn't. It's two just such, such a powerful film. Um, kind of can be seen as, in some ways, and comparisons will be made, and kind of fair enough, really, because they deal with the same subject matter to Shinja's list. Um, it's kind of about, the, obviously, this the, the guy, this guy Saul, um, who is a Jewish uh, held in a Jewish concentration camp, and um, he is part of a well, the Hungarian Hungarian Jew, I believe, part of this this group of um, prisoners who kind of clean up after the the gas chambers and the showers, and um, it's as bleak as you might expect. Uh, and he essentially finds, uh, looks around, kind of happens across uh, the body of his son, and it's his effort to try and you know get a rabbi to bury his son. Um, whilst at the same time um, the Jews are trying to fight back against the Nazis and organising this rebellion um, and yeah I'm kind of welling up a bit now kind of talking about it to be honest it's um, it's Bring, brutal we're bringing the party to the top of this chart we are we? bringing the party to the top of the chart but it's such a powerful and such an effective film that it's 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 a must watch really um, yeah. it is a must watch yeah I, I'm painfully aware of this I mean I, I feel like it's one that's just slipped the net I mean it wasn't on wide release here uh, it's, it's kind of difficult to come by did it play Cheltenham? It may, may have. Um, but if it did, it would have been a week and, and I missed it. So that's on me and, and I've got to get around to it, really. Um, by the way, you were looking for the director. Is it Laszlo Nemes? Is the, the Laszlo director? Nemes is the director. There we go. Laszlo Nemes, well done. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the subject matter that would be very, very easy to overplay. Um, and could, you know, and could, you know, the subject matter being that sensitive, you could have, you could have handled it too heavy-handedly. Right, and this is a director, is. incidentally, a director of 39 years of age, so... Just oh wow! Pretty, okay, pretty then that's that. that's an even more. I said I, you know, I I came to the actually, I came to this very late. I remember seeing Mark Hermo talk about it earlier in the year, and then thought I must watch that. And then I managed to find it in CX, I think, on Blu-ray for about six pound. I thought, oh, I'd forgotten that film existed, and then watched it literally only about four days ago. Hence, why I'm not that prepared on mm. on who directed it, which is remiss of me because it's it's such a good film. Can I can I give you one more stunner just before we you leave can, on yes. the 39 years of age feature debut. What feature debut? He's he's made three short films previously, as credited on the IMDb, and this is feature debut. So yeah, from from all that you're saying, I mean, this sounds like a wow, huge okay. recommendation. Um, yeah, to get blown into. away, son of Saul. Yeah, um, I I'm not even going to attempt to pretend that I'm sort of bringing it out of out of the gloom too much here because my number two pick has already been mentioned by uh, you, Paul, previously. That is Lenny Abramson's film uh, Room, um, which. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I need to add too much more. Performances are fantastic. We mentioned that um, by both of the leads. Um, yeah, inside and outside of the room, it's wonderfully well handled. What Richard did, I, I said to you before, I think is a strong recommendation. I liked Frank. I didn't love it. Um, I liked it. But yeah, room, when, when the film had finished and we were, we said, what, two weeks into January at most, I already had that feeling like, this is going to be one mm. of my favourite films of the year. I didn't pick up on it until quite late in the year, actually, because I missed it. I missed it cinema run. Um, right. 
which is my own fault actually because it was on for once actually I'm not going to criticise anyone for this it was on for quite a long time and I just mm. didn't go and see it uh, I don't know why yeah. Um, well it yeah. happens it happens doesn't it but I mean yeah you've caught up with it now and, and I'm yet to catch up with Son of Saul so I've got to get to that but Paul you've put your notebook down uh, we've got number I ones do we know what right. this is now okay I'm going to take a punt of what I think your number one film is going to be and you're going to take a punt on what you think my number one film is going to be and I reckon we're going to try and on three say it at the same time and bring a bit more of a part in the atmosphere back to this because are you ready on three I think your film of the year is American Silence. Honey. You, Silence. You haven't gone for the new Martin Scorsese That's film. That's 2017. Oh, you're that right. Might be, that doesn't qualify. That might be a runner. La- ladies that and gentlemen, might be a runner. Pa- Paul and I are not particularly fond of the new Martin Scorsese film, but we'll get to that on a future podcast. Um, the number no. that's... No, more... Right, let's try it again. Let's try it three, again. Okay. One, two, three... American, American Honey. Honey. Yeah, American wow. Honey sweep, sweeps the board. Um, this is what I'm, I'm quite actually quite proud of myself to say that this is one that I was kind of pushing on Paul because um, I managed to nab one of the tickets to see it on the few days that it actually played at the cinema. And I didn't even know it was directed by Andrew Arnold when it came out. Right. I was like, oh, what's that? That looks interesting. And you went, have you not seen the latest Andrew Arnold film yet? Kind of slapped me around the face a little bit and I went, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I mean... So I was late to the party with American Honey. But start? what a film. I mean, okay, I'm, I'm just, we're just going to go freeform and off the rails here, right? So looking, first of all, Metacritic has this thing at 79% or 79 out of 100. I think Metacritic's a bit more useful than Rotten Tomatoes, which is a broken model, but we can get to that another time. Um, 79. Now, there are people who've been sort of umming and ahhing. Does it make top 10? Is it not quite good enough? Is the performance of the lead character a bit rough around the edges? The answers to these things are, um, the performance is fantastic. The film is wonderfully put together. It was the most, the film with the biggest beating heart of anything I saw this year. Paul, like, pick up the bat. So I'm going to see if you're onto this one. So are the performances good? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you mentioned you mentioned just a moment ago uh, is the called? soundtrack any good nope <laughs> <laughs> you, you mentioned just a moment ago about um, Swiss Army Man and you said that since this was that number three or four something like that for you yeah. um, since the film you've had the soundtrack in your head you've listened to the soundtrack I think sometimes one of the, the marks of a really good film a film that, that's sticking with you that's my notebook falling on the floor guys that's how, that's how excited exciting I am. you are we've, we've lost all structure yeah um is that the soundtrack stays with you afterwards, right? It happened with Boyhood, for example. That Family of the Year track just yep. like, played that into the ground. The soundtrack to this stuck with me for weeks and even months, if it's been that long, since the release of the Into a New Year's party as well. Right. And the, the soundtrack is a, a sort of grab bag of country music, pretty bad, by and large, commercial hip-hop music. Dreadful commercial yeah. hip-hop music. But it works so fantastically in the film that is about looking for something and not knowing how or when you're going to get to that See, thing. On the, on the face of it, um, American Honey is essentially a film about kind of disaffected teens or early 20s that are just selling magazines. Mm. Um, and at some point, it was about halfway through, I kind of just looked at myself and I was just like, this is, it, and it's not about that. It's about many wider issues than that. You're saying they're going, but they've made this so compulsive. Mm. And I think part of part of what's great about it is it takes Andrew Arnold's sort of distinctive British filmmaking style, kind of going, harking back to sort of Lindsay Anderson's free cinema and sort of Ken Loach's kitchen sink kind of dramas and that kind of thing. It takes that kind of handheld, almost British filmmaking aesthetic, applies it to the US and does it so well. Mm. Um, it almost feels like like an almost like an American Ken Loach film in places. Would that be a fair? 
comparison, yeah. do you think? Yeah, I can I can see that, but then you know, with with a sort of freewheeling nature that you don't get out of a Ken Loach film, whatever you think about but I think, Ken Loach's yeah, work. Yeah, I think more in terms of the kind of characters it's following and the kind of disaffected sort yeah, of... Yeah, and the raw, like you were saying, like the sort kind of, of raw yeah. nature that characters are drawn, right? Yeah. It's not your usual cinema, uh, excuse me, Hollywood sort of characterisation of, yeah. of people. And, you know, this film is, is that strong that it can convince me that Shia LaBeouf was fantastic in it. He was absolutely brilliant in it, yeah. Magnetic in this thing. And, you know, I've liked him in other places. I think he's fairly good in, in Nymphomaniac. It wasn't that long ago. He's been good here and there, but he's an irritating person to me, but by and large. When he comes on screen here, I'm waiting to be annoyed by him. And instead, the character that he plays is essentially the catalyst that leads the, the lead character, played by Sasha Lane, on this road trip to go magazine selling and try and make something of her life. And he's the thing, or he's the, the sort of uh, hook that pulls her into a world that previously she knew nothing of. And then he's just the bitch to the Riley, I think she's called Riley Keough, the, the actress who plays the sort of king pin, queen pin of, yeah. the, of the group. And there's just so, but there's so many, like, there's, there's so many awesome characters in it. You just like, you, you don't really know what's going on. And Cristal especially, there's just a bizarre scene that needs to be talked about. Where, and correct me if I'm wrong. Where so like the the boss the the manager of the magazine salespeople and this is how great the film is is kind of is there in this like confederate this confederate flag bikini whilst Shirley Booth is applying fake tan lotion she's like yeah, going to her legs yeah, yeah like he's mine he's mine it almost reminded me of James Franco in um, Spring Breakers where he's like look at my shit it kind yeah. of feels a bit like that and you're like what is going on but it just works and and there's a comparison that I'm going to jump all over so it, it, for a good reason so that film Spring Breakers is a film that essentially to me seems to say here is youthful um, post-millennial excess and you can read into that that there's some kind of comment there's some kind of social comment in the case of Harmony Kareen, a filmmaker who I deplore I think that there's very little below the shiny surfaces and kind of disaffected, drug-addled, yeah. middle-distance Neon drenched visuals, kind of hip soundtrack, that kind right. of thing. Yeah. On the other hand here, you have Andrea Arnold, who couldn't have made a better film about the sort of state of the union, whether you look at that as the United States or sort of the, the, the Western world at large, if she had made a documentary about the economic crisis. It could have been, yeah. This it is does more feel, effective it does than feel, that. It feels like documentary cinema in many ways, despite all these kind of outlandish characters and that kind of thing. But, but what, yeah, I what, would agree it is more effective at Spring Breakers than and, Spring Breakers. And what I mean by that is, it, yeah, you mentioned earlier on, like it touches so many issues without ever pushing them down your throat. I mean, think of a film that missed our list this year, right? Um, I, Daniel Blake. I, Daniel Blake, yeah. I, Daniel Blake, I think, is has got a lot of power. It's well made. But the problem I think we both had at a certain point was we're like, okay, I get the mess, and you're kind of manipulating me and pushing this so hard that I've kind of backed off just a yeah, little, little past it. Yeah, it was too much. It was like he's literally just taking, taking a hammer and just nailing the message to your head. And you'd already got there, and then there's yeah. the final scene, and it, yeah. it just goes there. But fine, I mean, again, it could have made top 20 or 30, who knows? Yeah. But yeah, just so much to recommend American Honey that I've spoken to people recently who still even at this point have no idea what I'm talking about what is this film you know why is that number one ahead of all these other films you, you know is it a pretentious choice are you just saying it to be contrarian no this isn't a niche film this isn't oh it's a, a 15 hour Hungarian you know silent epic that we dug out from the corners of the internet yeah. no this is 
potentially a universally popular film if it gets seen by enough people which I think is the real struggle that, that may maybe it's going to have yeah, and hopefully just, awards will help and, 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 and I think well, you know and 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 and, and that, I'm, still, I'm still excited I'm still fired up to talk about it that when I was putting the list together I was just like and as I said earlier, as I said earlier and I've said to Pete I was kind of off, off of the podcast I'm a little bit dubious sometimes about throwing like best of list together because if you'd had like five horror films I might have gone this is the best and five sci-fi films I might have gone this is the best yeah. but as I, was, as I was toying around the list I was like number 10 is this this jumps to number 2 is this number 4 is this number 6 there was never any argument as soon as I wrote the list down and started playing around the list boom Bullseye American Honey was always yeah. going to be number 1 yeah for me too I had the really very similar experience I'd started writing my chart I was right number one this where does everything else go like you were saying how, how do we sort out what's number sort of two through ten yeah this was number one and it, it just it just hit it's just one of those films i think where you say yeah of this whole year this does more things right than maybe anything else does paul before we do wrap this thing up because we can gush all, all day and night and it's, yes. it's getting on a bit um about american honey are there any films that you cut off your list that like just missed out that you wanted to mention? I mean, we've brought up things like Don't Breathe and uh, and Blair Witch, but is there anything else this year that comes to mind um, that you that you want to mention? Probably not. I think I Daniel Blake came up, didn't it? Um, yeah. But again, you know, just missed out for being a little bit too heavy-handed. Um, I mean, there's some good stuff this year that that hasn't made it onto the list. Um, there was Green Room, I think, but I've mentioned Green Room. I think that just missed the list. Um, Neon Demon just missed out. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a few bits and pieces that, that that came on that I've, you know, that I would I'm surprised haven't made the list. Hail, Hail Caesar. I, that was close. I haven't for me. seen I Hail Caesar. I don't know about you. That's terrible of me because I haven't I haven't seen Hail Caesar. Yet. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. I know uh, Triple Nine. I liked a bit more than you, and I don't know if it was close to my top ten, but it was good. Uh, Bigger Splash. I don't know if you've caught up with that yet. The Tilda Swinton movie. Deadpool didn't trouble your list, which I thought maybe maybe. No, I, Deadpool didn't trouble my list because the villain is awful. Fair enough. Um, Ten Cloverfield Lane was pretty good. Uh, high rise mentioned. Um, yeah, a couple of things. Oh, one for me, which is maybe a, a slightly deep cut, but it's available to stream. Is Night Owls got close to my list, and I don't think a lot of people have seen. Okay, it. no, I've not seen Night Owls. Quite a small indie two-hander about a girl who goes to uh, her boss's house when she's inebriated and then tries to overdose and has to be kept okay. awake all night by a guy and it turns into a sort of weird love story okay. so yeah there are other things that we'll get to on future podcasts well, but Shallow, I think... Shallow's just missed out for me um, but we, again we've discussed most of them I think in all honesty anything that Sully late in the year surprisingly first. I thought I haven't seen Sully yet right, I, I actually deliberately avoided that due to Leastwood's late recent output but we, Wiener Dog I mentioned on a previous episode but I, I couldn't put on the chart I love Todd Salons but I, I couldn't quite make my chart this year but yeah and we can go on and on and on mm. but I think we've probably draw a line under this one yeah draw a line under it and spell it with the words American Honey which is certainly hands down our film of 2016 yeah and yeah I mean at this point we've got nothing else to do but probably go bounce it um, I'm about to bounce throw a couple it. thousand yeah uh, yeah yep. we will be back <laughs> for episode 26 in the not too distant future that will not be a countdown show that will be back to our normal format back to the normal format we may have we may well have a guest lined up for you in the next couple of episodes as well but we will confirm that closer to the time so yeah I will, I will give that as a little bit of a teaser for leading into 2017 we will do our best to be a bit more disciplined at getting them out at least fortnightly yeah we're aware there's been a bit of a gap new year's resolution you guys um, but Christmas happened so yeah I mean give us some love if you can uh, soundcloud.com slash strangers in cinema is where all the back episodes are listed yeah. for download or for just listening on the, the app there Instagram strangers in cinema yeah uh, we've got twitter at strangers cinema 
um, get on, get us on on Facebook, all the normal places. You can search the name of the site um, and the podcast and find us. Um, yeah, there. Um, yeah, and just for us to really say um, until episode twenty six, it's good my goodbye. I can't speak. I've got so excited about I'm our so excited about American Honey. I just good. dropped it in there right at the end again. It's goodbye from me, Pete Wall, and it's goodbye from me, Paul Anderson. See you next time. <laughs>